Black lives matter, black lives matter Yeah, yeah, yeah Trying to live my life, putting purpose over profit Too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets Eyes on the prize, yeah, I gotta watch it Agents amongst us, get your hand out my pocket I'm sick with the pen, brothers and sisters are sick in the pen Oppressed by the man, attacked by the clan, America's plan, depression sets in People becoming so hopeless, say we can't breathe, they still choke us They put the body cam on, it's either turn off or out of focus Yeah, another death, another life They pull the trigger, no thinking twice Cops be wildin', the killing youth The new Jim Crow, a different noose It's the beast it's the beast, mark of the beast Cease and desist, increase the peace Move in silence, don't make a sound But when they come, stand your ground R.I.P. to all the martyrs Say your prayer, Heavenly Father Black lives matter, black lives matter Yeah, hey bars that's what i'm talking about yo you about to come out of retirement stop <laughs> listen man I, I just it's quarantine season so who knows i got nothing but time and space to might have to drop a couple of mixtapes tonight absolutely so thank you guys for joining us this is the creative gourd live edition we have mr yisrael in the building yo yo what it do reporting to you live from philadelphia philadelphia <laughs> baby philadelphia what's going on so I'm not sure if people know, but you actually did come out of retirement for that for that song, Black Lives Matter, with Mr. Nashi Litton straight from Trenton. Oh, yes. And I was actually fortunate enough to be present in the studio. You know, this being an, an inspiration to all. No, 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 no. <laughs> but it was very inspiring to see both of you work. And it reminded me back at Petty where you guys did the, the DQ album. So it, it was just like reliving history once again. So what was that? What was it like creating a song of this magnitude? It was special, man. It was beautiful. Because like, honestly, um, um, until that time when I collaborated with Nasheed and thank, thank you to Nasheed, shout out to Nasheed for allowing me to jump on that track. Um, I didn't rap really. I think the last rap I ever spit was probably back in college when I was doing something for a gra uh, for uh, my final project in uh, I think my senior year. Um, so it was it was it was like nothing ever stopped because mm. his energy um, and the song was just so so heavy, but at the same time so necessary, so powerful. And you know the beat is dope. Yes, um, his voice and his his cadence and um, everything that he was saying on there, I was like, yo, that's what I've been feeling watching all these things, whether it's Ferguson, you know, whether it's uh, Eric Garner, um, Rakesha Boy, like every, all these people, right? And unfortunately, uh, there wasn't a lack of inspiration because these things continue to happen as we see, right? So even though he did the song, I think he recorded it back in like 2018, his piece, or actually before that, I think he said 2016. I jumped on, I think, in 2018. Wow, yeah. So, for me to just jump on that and it's like i have that inspiration um i have all these things that are happening around me that i could reflect and talk about um so it was it was it was great to be in his space heavy to do that song but definitely important for the culture important for the movement and hopefully important um to help people grow in their consciousness and change this moment to a movement 
Absolutely. I actually asked she a couple of days ago if he could, you know, upload that to all the streaming platforms just so we can we can share that more. Because I feel like, and I, I said this to him, I feel like this song is going to come become much more relevant as time goes on. So I think it would be an inspiration for other people to hear. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I, I, I dig that. Definitely dig that. It's a powerful song. Um, I often find myself listening to it like on days when I need to be reflective or definitely Black History Month that's in the rotation. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, for sure. That's amazing. And then, you know, just a little housekeeping here. How's everything with you and Amanda and, and you know, Ezra? All as well. I appreciate you asking. Um, you know, I think this 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 time has been treating us well. We were treating the time well. I mean, you know, there's challenges. Um, there are some uncertainties ahead, uh, particularly with Amanda in terms of like school and stuff like that. Um, but we, we're going through it. And by the grace of God, everything's good, man. We can't really complain. Um, we got everything we need and more. Um, so thank God for that. So um, it's just an opportunity for us to spend more time with each other, uh, opportunity for us to pour into some of the things that we don't get a chance to pour into. Um, explore some of the passions that we don't get a chance to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, talk with folks that we don't often get a chance to talk to enough. Um, so it's been good, man. Things have been treating us well. And Ezra's just been living his best. <laughs> um, he has not been left home alone. I think for. Wow. Over and we go back to business as usual in some respects. He's going to be mad. He so sure is. Mad. He's gonna be. He's a uh, spoiled rotten. <laughs> oh yeah, he's, he's already spoiled rotten. Um, and for those who don't know, I'm talking about my dog. Um, he thinks he's a lap dog, um, which he which he's not, um, but he tries to be. And uh, he's he's just been pampered and he was already spoiled before this. Um, so now he's super spoiled because he's spending time with his best friend. So things have been good. <laughs> Absolutely, because every time we're on the Zoom call, he's like, "Really, guys? Let's can we go have some fun? <laughs> like, come on." <laughs> Yeah, he's a party poop. He's the first one to sleep. He's the first one to sleep every time. Just rude. <laughs> and then how about for you guys in terms of how COVID-19 has impacted the world? How has it impacted the daily life in Philadelphia? Ooh, um, yeah, daily life in Philadelphia. I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tale of, you know, Philadelphia is a very, very interesting city in the sense that like other many, many other major cities, they're broken up into different neighborhoods. Right. Mm. Um, and neighborhoods, you know, they might be attributed to certain zip codes. Um, there's this strip of a uh, strip of road called Germantown um, Avenue. If you were to drive along Germantown Avenue, you will go through a number of different neighborhoods in Philadelphia and you will see the stark contrast between how people are living. Between how people are being impacted, um, between how people are wearing their mask or not wearing their mask. Um, and you can see that across racial lines. Mm. Um, you can see where trash is being picked up, where trash is not necessarily being picked up or is being picked up late. Um, you can see which stores have produce, fresh produce, and others don't. Really? Which stores are starting to ration and which stores aren't. Wow. Um, you can see which places have delivery service and which place has takeout, or which place, you know, some people seem like their life hasn't been interrupted in any way, shape, or form. Um, or you see some people who are not really adhering to social distancing rules. They don't have their mask on and they're just slapping fives and, you know, so you see that and you see that there's always a stark difference between certain communities. And when you think about black and brown communities in particular, um, and you see how they're impacted more so than other communities, um, particularly here in Philadelphia, you see that as well. Um, you have to ask yourself a question. Why? Um, is it just because of this situation or has this always been the case? And now this is just something that's starting to shed a light on it. 
Exactly. And I feel like that's a, a microcosm of life in general, right? Just it's just uh the situation is shedding light, as you said, on everything else that may have been questionable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. And it's, so, I mean, I'm curious to know because Philadelphia, in many respects, is similar to Trenton in some ways. I know Trenton's much, much smaller mm. um, than Philadelphia, but in terms of like some row homes, in terms of some of the gentrification that's taking place, in terms of some of the people who live there. And then if you look at some of the different neighborhoods within that Trenton um, six mile, six mile radius, I believe, yeah. uh, within that space, you know, you start to see some things that might be a little bit different, too, and how folks are being impacted there in different parts of, of Trenton. So what have you seen? What have you noticed about that? Well, just for me, anecdotally, I've seen the, uh, let's say, granting access to public locations such as parks. It's mm-hmm. uh, It changes per day or sometimes per week, depending on what, you know, Governor Murphy says at the end of the day. So um, I would say, and for the most part, people tend to be a little bit more on the safe side because everywhere I go, I see people with masks and gloves. And for my own, you know, my own sake in terms of work, work, we uh, we've changed the, you know, the whole way that we come into the building. So now there are people, you know, groups of workers are in sections. So we're not having, you know, over 300 plus people in the building at one time. So it's just, uh, I guess, portion control. Right. But still have to get work done. We're deemed essential by the, you know, by the state. So, I mean, we're the welfare agency. So technically, that's literally what we're here for. Mm, that's interesting. Um, I mean, my professional life has been impacted in some ways too. And I don't, I don't want to say impacted because I think sometimes that might have um, um, a negative connotation, right? In the sense of I've been impacted. Um, but I think that what's changed for me working in education, working at independent school, um, a lot of questions have been raised about what education is supposed to look like, what education can be, what education should be. Um, the fact that we can teach from home. Um, you know, some of us might do a better job than others because we have resources or we have philosophies or pedagogy that instructs us to do something that's going to be meaningful, valuable um, and effective for students, while others might just be simply trying to replicate what happens inside the schoolhouse. Right. Um, but for me, what I've what I've realized is that we can be so much more creative and innovative um, using technology if we actually embrace it for all the positive things that it can do. If we learn it as opposed to run away from it, yes. Um, if we if we don't just say, "Hey, um, this is how things have always been done," so I don't want to change. Um, and you know, I think, like I always say, like we always know, um, true growth comes from being vulnerable um, and navigating un- uncharted and uh, un- uncertainty, uncharted uh, territories. Um, so thinking about that, I think we're in a moment right now, particularly in the space that I'm in, in education, for us to really be introspective and reflective about what we've been doing as an educational system here in the United States of America um, and what we can keep and what we should just disregard and throw away because it's not working. And of course, it's not equitable. Um, whether you're looking at different independent schools across the board or whether you're looking at independent schools versus public schools or public schools against public schools, parochial, et cetera. Um, and we have to wrestle with the the deep questions of, you know, are we serving our populace? Mm. Um, and if we're not, are we doing that intentionally? Right. Um, or are we doing that unknowingly? or willingly or unwillingly. Um, so there's a lot of questions that I think for this moment, at this very moment, there's a lot of questions that are coming to the forefront um, that's always been there. Some folks didn't want to wrestle with them, they didn't want to tackle them, or they've let that happen because this is what they want the populace to do. They don't necessarily want them to get an education. They want them to be schooled. They want them to be factory workers. They want them to be this, that, and the third, but not be able to have their sense of freedom about choice um, and what their education is going to mean for them and whether or not it's going to be a ticket to this for them 
or whether or not it's going to be a guaranteed space for them to be here for the rest of their life. It's so true. And I feel like that was the inspiration that led to the creative gourd because people in these situations literally have, don't have the access to that type of information. And if it wasn't for the institutions we've been, you know, privileged enough to go to like the petty school, I mean, we might be in that category as well. Yeah, absolutely right. And, um, you know, I, and I think there's a couple of things too, because just because something's good, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't challenge it. Mm. So there are some spaces, even the place that I work at, a phenomenal school, but doesn't mean that it's, uh, it's, it's beyond or it should go without reproach. Um, right. Um, I think that even those schools that are phenomenal, the schools that are doing well, we have to ask ourselves, how can we be better? Um, what's the next wave? Um, what does the 21st century education really look like? What does it mean? Um, who are the stakeholders that we need to be talking about, focusing on? How can we truly be a diverse, equitable, and inclusive school? Um, realizing that equity and in inclusivity comes before you can really get to diversity. Right. Because um, otherwise, it's just really assimilation. Or maybe you're doing a little bit of accommodating, but you're not really welcoming people to the sense where they have belonging. Um, so those are some of the things that I think that even some of the best institutions are wrestling with right now. And if not, they should be. It's true. And it, the situation has forced us all to look, look ourselves in the mirror. And sometimes we're not going to like what we see. So certain, you know, disparities in terms of income, as Jazz was saying in the, in the comments, because if we're being honest, if we were able, let's say as a country, right, as a community to not panic as much, then you wouldn't have to worry about, you know, stores running out of toilet paper, things like that. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, we don't really have that long, let's say that big picture perspective. And we only think about things right now. After all, that's how we're trained, right? We're socially conditioned for an instant society. I mean, we grew up with microwaves. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the now generation, right? Everybody wants things now. Not even now, right now, right? Right. Um, Yesterday. And, you know, <laughs> get to a point where like popcorn and, and the microwave is not even fast enough. You know, everything is instant. You have Generation Z that was born into technology, right? Um, you know, us being millennials, you know, we, we've... We've been early ad ad adopters or adapters, really. Um, however, these folks were born pretty much out the womb with an iPad in their hand. Right. You know what I mean? And so they know how to navigate certain things. They have to make sure that we're not um, turning away from that. And we need to know that we also have to teach them things such as resilience, teach them things such as patience. <laughs> and I think, I think this moment right now that they're going through is teaching them resilience, is teaching them patience, is teaching them to understand what it means to, I don't know, not receive something overnight, right? You know, not be able to download something quickly. You know, actually use USPS, the snail mail, as opposed to just clicking and doing all this stuff, right? Um, so I think this is a moment that across all generations, we're all learning something. If we at least take the stop, like take a chance to sit back, stop, and listen, and figure out what it is that this situation is really trying to teach us. It's true, and I feel like, I mean, again, I feel like we're pretty clever people. I feel like people who are any type of sense at all know that we could easily handle the situation a lot better than it's being handled. Oh, for sure. And you talk about leadership, right? Or lack thereof. Mm. Um, you talk about exactly what is happening at the national level, what's happening at the different states. Um, just really thinking about, thinking about um, what can we do to make sure something like this doesn't happen again. Right. If it does happen again, because you can't prevent everything. If it does happen again, how can we, um, be better prepared to respond to it. Um, and you know, there's, all the, there's always these other questions that come up too. It's like, you know, is this by design? 
Um, is this being allowed to happen? Um, is it covering something else? Um, is it being used for people's political gain, mm. um, for social oppression, whatever the case may be? Um, there's a lot of questions that are always out there whenever these type of situations happen. But again, you, you know, it starts from the top. When you think about a, a nation that's supposed to have a person who's commander in chief, um, I'm not even talking about political parties. It doesn't matter. I'm talking about actual leadership where you see somebody who might not look like you, but you realize that guess what? They're a human being, right? Yeah. Um, what does it mean to treat human beings the way you want to be treated? What does it mean to provide human beings with things that they actually need? Not what you think they need, mm. not what you prescribe for them in the sense of, oh, I'm projecting all the things that I think you need on you. Um, but what does it mean to actually know someone in order for you to love them and meet their needs? Um, it's really it's really about the ethics of care, right? Meeting somebody what their what their needs might be. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions out there about leadership or lack thereof um, across the nation, and in, in some cases, quite frankly, across the globe. It's true, and I feel like, for whatever reason, whenever you know something happens, when we all collectively see the solution, we all look at the leader and wait for them to act, as opposed to acting, you know, because it's just common sense. So if someone's about to walk into the middle of the road, are you going to wait for the police officer to get him, or are you going to stop him yourself? It's, it's really up to you. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're right about that. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, you're really right about that because again, when you think about how we've been programmed, on, as human beings, we're all conditioned and programmed in one way, shape, or form. Right? We're creatures of habit. Um, so we we've gone living our lives, doing certain things, thinking that's the correct way, or if we become accustomed to doing that. There's some ways. Even if we go back to the education debate, we're not. Are we? I won't say we're not because I'm not going to project my own thoughts, right? Right. The question is, I'll offer a query. Are we in our educational spaces taught how to think for ourselves? Mm. Are we in our educational spaces taught how to be critical thinkers to the point where we can ask critical questions, um, analyze data, and make informed decisions based off of information that's provided to us? If we don't have any information that is provided to us, how can we endeavor to find out and actually make sure that that data is correct? And actually make sure that that is like it's factual to the best of your ability um and then use that um to to come through with a solution thinking about that it's true and then i think that's the the most overwhelming aspect of the whole covid 19 situation is the the misinformation is just so much misinformation i feel like there's way more misinformation than the fitness industry it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's that game. And, you know, I always talk about it because my, my undergraduate background and training is in policy analysis and management uh, with a concentration in consumer policy. So I'm always thinking about um, audience. I'm always thinking about who's a consumer. I'm always thinking about who's being marketed to. Um, and the questions that come up is that language that's being used, how you frame an argument, um, how you present a case mm. um, and the influence that that might have on someone's decision-making process in that situation. Right. Um, so that's, those are the things I always think about. So when you talk about misinformation, you think about sometimes it's too much information. Sometimes it's misinformation. And sometimes it's so much misinformation that becomes too, too much information um, to the point where it's like, I don't want any information at all. Exactly. And then now you're uninformed. So it's, it's just that, you know, that cycle, that cycle. Yeah, it's, it's like they covered their bases. They're like, oh, we're going to affect you, 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 uh -huh. you. Whether it actually reminds me of the Matrix a lot. So whether you're in Zion or not, you're everyone's going to feel the impact of this regardless. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll be interested to see um, when all of this is over in the sense of, you know, social distancing, folks wearing masks, et cetera. 
Um, will we change? Mm. Will we change as a people? Are you going to treat people with respect? Are you going to actually start to see people as equals? Um, are you actually going to start to see people as even human beings? Um, is that going to happen? Um, are you really going to start to actually, because we keep talking about voting, right? Um, there are folks who vote, but guess what? Their vote might count when they actually vote. But what does that person in office or what does that Congress or what do those people who are supposed to be elected representatives and officials, what do they do? Can they even do? Right. I remember J. Cole was performing on um, David Letterman and he was talking about Obama. He was like, you know, he was pr pretty much I'm paraphrasing. He was like he thought he was going to be able to bring about change. Like, did he think he was going to be able to bring about change? And then when he got to the White House, he was given keys to the White House and he. He didn't know that he was going to steer a, a ship that was about to go sink anyway, like hit an iceberg and crash. So you might think you can do all these things, but then when you get there, you realize you can't. Uh, you might want and your intent might be to do these things, but you just can't do it because you don't have the right Congress. You don't have the right, you know, Speaker of the House. You don't have the right, um, you know, constituents and all these things. So, again, at the end of the day, there's some people who just look at this like it's a game. Throw my hands up. I don't care. Yahtzee. Like it's over. I'm good. Um, so it's just, it's, it'll be interesting to see if we change at all in any way, shape or form moving forward. I'm talking about socially, emotionally, politically, spiritually, um, mentally, like what will our process and our thought process be? Um, folks in the black community in particular, like what, what are we going to do moving forward? What are we thinking about in terms of ownership, in terms of creativity, in terms of not just being a consumer, but being a producer, being an owner, uh, what are we going to do? So those are some questions. Yeah, it's true. And I guess black people as a whole, I would say even, you know, minority as a whole are usually a sleeping giant when it comes to their production level and their talent, because unfortunately they, they channel it into things like negativity because that's how they're socially conditioned. If you look, listen to all the lyrics, look, look at all the music videos, they're all pushing them towards that situation. And mm -hmm. You know, just as Amanda said in the comments, people, you know, suffer from a lack of knowledge. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, absolutely. People suffer from a lack of knowledge. And not only do they suffer from a lack of knowledge, there are some people who think that the knowledge that they receive is the knowledge. Is the gospel. The they receive is the gospel. And it's like, hold up, fam, who told you that? Why did they tell you that? OK, go think about that. Um, because sometimes, you know, folks kick knowledge and it's like, hold up, time out. What you talking about? You said what? Who told you that? Like, so we have to really, really vet information, particularly in this day and age of misinformation, particularly in this day and age where anybody like me and you, right? Because I want folks too. Mm. They could be watching right now. Go, go fact check us. Please. Go, go, go do like do your own research. Because again, anybody in the mama, if you have access to the internet, you know, stream yard, all this other stuff, whatever, you could pop on and you could pop off, right? Right. <laughs> you can say whatever you want to say. And it's like, who gonna check me, boo? Who someone gonna say something to you? Is someone gonna say something to you? Because everybody, oh, this is my platform. If you don't like my platform, get off my, you know. So we have to really be careful about false prophets, really be careful about people who put themselves up there as I'm an expert. An expert in what? Like, really? You might have expertise, but are you really an expert? Right. I mean, it takes what at least 10 years of actual doing that work to be considered a master. Like you need actual mastery. So it, it's mm -hmm. definitely a, it's a long-term process for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'll be interested to see if we, if we gain a moral conscience, if we truly start to live up to the creed of, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'll be interested to see. It's true. And I, I have to agree with Jazz in the comments here about critical thinking, because if you're really thinking critical, if we examine society as a whole, you could actually make the argument that we actually treat animals better than some human beings. 100%. And I, I would agree with her, um, with Jasmine's piece, where it says it's important to be a lifelong learner. Oh, yeah. Um, because and that's why I have an issue with the with the term expert, per se, because expert means that you know everything, in my opinion. And that means that you're done learning. Yeah. Or in your mind, you're like, ah, well, I mean, there's nothing else. Like, I know it all. Um, but you have to still continue to be a lifelong learner, continue to analyze things from different ways, accept new information, allow room for continual revelation. Um, you need to do that. Absolutely. And I mean, as someone who can be considered a know-it-all, I still know that I don't know it all, which is why I feel like I'm a know-it-all. <laughs> so I already know, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. Never. I always want to surround myself with people who can provide a different perspective, people who have more information, more wisdom, more knowledge, more years of experience than I do. Um, and I also want to be humble enough to realize that, you know what, I don't have all the answers. And when I'm wrong, I need to admit it. And I want to also make sure that, guess what? It's okay to make mistakes, but never make the same mistake twice. Because like like folks usually say, if you make the same mistake twice, then that was a decision. Thank you. To make decisions now. Personal right? so, responsibility. Talk about it. Like accountability, personal responsibility. Folks are like, oh, it was a mistake. No, no, no. You knew exactly what you were doing because you did it before. And last time you did it, you was like, it was a mistake. It'll never happen again. And here we are. And so, absolutely. And I think that may be the positive aspect, if I can say it, about the COVID-19 is that now people are actually taking their health more seriously than they were before. So some people were eating pizza and wings and cheesesteaks every single day like is oh this this is like water that's real though but that that's what usually happens whenever we are have our backs against the wall i mean i know i can speak for black folks in particular well i can't speak for black folks but my own personal experience um you know we're resilient people mm. uh, and usually whenever there's a challenge put in front of us um we meet that challenge and we usually surpass it and that's usually the problem is because we're so resilient um because we're able to respond, react, readjust um, to everything and anything thrown our way, Right. sometimes we feel like it's whatever, because we're going to get through it anyway. Um, but I want us to understand what that looks like and what we should try to do, as opposed to just getting through it and being resilient. Like I was telling somebody the other day, I can't remember, I was like, yo, I'm tired of like having that as like an uh, attribute that I'm proud of. Like I'm resilient. Like I want some privilege one day. Can I have some privilege? Yes. Uh, I don't want to always be resilient and, oh, you made it through. You made it through. Nah, nah. Can I have it easy for a little bit? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I mean, why else work as hard as we're working to stay in the same position? And I feel like I'm paraphrasing one of my favorite rappers of all time. You can guess who said that. But it's it's all about progress. I mean, not progress for the sake of progress, progress for everyone to also progress as well. And sometimes I would say in our country, we get a little too, let's say, narrow-minded in terms of our own pursuit of glory. So we become more more selfish as opposed to sharing the rock. Absolutely. If I can quote one of my favorite movies, Paid in Full, mm, my Ace man Boogie. Like, listen, <laughs> listen, when I'm on the block, everybody eats. Mm. Everybody eats. The problem is a lot of people think there's not only not enough seat at, seats at the table, but once they get there, if they get a seat at the table, they're upset if somebody got an extra egg roll. You know what I mean? And it's like, fam, we all eating Chinese food, <sighs> and there's more over there in the container. And if you want more, you can ask. Like, 
everybody can get something. Right. And sometimes people want more than what they need. And then sometimes people think that if you eat, that means I'm going to be hungry. No, mm. that just means you're going to eat a little less and that person's going to eat a little less, but you're both going to be fed and you're going to be all right. Right. Um, but these are some concepts that are hard, particularly in a capitalistic society where people are like, listen, now nah, I got to have the biggest plate, the biggest table to only see. It's difficult. Yeah. Especially when the table has to be, you know, for, flown in from like, you know, Brazil, mahogany <laughs> wood and the plates are actual gold. Like, I mean, again, if that's what you want in terms of decor and you, you, you know, you earn a living where you could do that, that's great. However, there are some other people in the world who don't have a, let's say, path to that directly, who are looking to have some of that for themselves. So to me, it's just like spreading the wealth of knowledge instead of being like the CIA with knowledge. Could you, uh, you know, give us more of this knowledge that is actually useful as opposed to the, the same rhetoric we keep hearing in the media? Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. And um, um, oh, I like this question. You don't think you're privileged yet. You respect it in your field, property owner, beautiful wife. Um, thank you for that question. Um, I think I think privilege is not black and white. Um, I think there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of gray areas there. So, for example, I'm a black male in America, yet I'm also a light skinned black male, yet I'm also a male. I'm also heterosexual. So when you think about that, I have privilege, but I can also at the same time be a part of a marginalized class that does not have privilege, particularly in certain spaces. So it's not just the content, it's also, con it's also the context. So if I'm a black male in a predominantly white space, Yes, I work at independent schools. Um, however, my black self in these white, predominantly white institutions um, are not necessarily um, as privileged as other people just based off the color of my skin. If I walk into the room with my degrees, with no one knows what my degrees are, and I walk into a room with a white male, no one knows what his degrees are, whether or not he even has any, right? Um, studies show, and people from our, all my walks of life and people I've talked to, People might look at that white guy as more than I am mm. in certain spaces. Me having this beard in certain spaces, I might be looked at and frowned down upon, right? Me walking outside with a mask versus someone else walking outside with a mask who's not black, who's white, might be looked different at. Me walking outside with a mask, social distancing with someone else not walking outside with a mask, not social distancing, yet I'm the one who's harassed. Yes, I'm a person of privilege, but in certain spaces, I'm not. So it's, it's possible. And I think that's why sometimes we're, we're, I always get upset when we get into binary conversation where it's like this or that. Mm. Like I always talk about gray and finding the nuance because multiple truths can exist at the same time. I can be a privileged person and at the same time be very marginalized or a part of a marginalized group. Um, so I think that's important for us to really talk about and think about. Absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, jazz is right. Society is delusional because that's how they're raised to be. I think one of the most eye-opening things that I witnessed is when, you know, going to Europe, I mean, it's happening there as well, but not to the extent that it's happening here. Like the world collectively is looking at Americans like, oh, wait, you guys believe what they're telling you there? Like why? When you see, when you're actually, you know, experiencing the proof in real time, you still believe what the leaders are telling you. Mm-hmm. No. Because I think some people are afraid of the truth. Mm. Um, some people are afraid of the truth because once they once they know the truth, they're like, well, okay, what am I going to do? Right. Um, and then some other folks don't. Some other folks are lazy to a point where it's like, you know the truth, you know what's happening is wrong, yet you don't want to do anything about it. Yet you don't want to do what you can, realizing that there are some limitations in place, institutional inequities, et cetera, right? That might bar you from doing all that you can. 
or all that you want to, but not wanting to do anything to change your circumstance. I have an issue with that. Um, you do what you can until you can't do any more. Um, and, you know, there's some things that we can't control. There's other things that we can't control. But we have to have that wisdom to figure out what we can. And, you know, if you're not a spiritual person, if you don't pray, then I don't know what to tell you. But for me, <laughs> I, can sleep at, I can sleep at night knowing that God will handle the rest. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is dependent on your school of thought. And for whatever reason, the let's say the majority is the collectivism school of thought as opposed to independent we saw a lot of you know terms like critical thinking in the comments and i have to agree a thousand percent i mean those are those are lifelong skills and my dad broke this down to me when he was growing up he could he could see the difference in the uh let's say the educational strategy because growing up his professors were talking about critical thinking oh you need to do x y and z don't just believe what they tell you you need to do x y and z right but now now it's more like oh you need to do abc and don't you know don't worry about the letters after c you'll be fine Mm-hmm. because it's a game it's a game and that's why i always talk about i i have a I have an issue with with schooling um mm. i always talk about how i hate school i love education um i don't like how school um, no matter what school you walk into polices your body tells you how to behave how to act how to dress how to talk how to walk all those things right um whereas education is really trying to gain that knowledge learn how to be a critical thinker learn how to ask the right questions learn how to write an effective argument learn how to connect with people Learn how to meet people where they are, even if there's a place of difference. Right. How do you put forth your point that's not a lazy argument, that's just screaming? So, like when you talk about debate, like they, they talk about um, might is right. So, right. like because you're so mighty, you're right, right? Um, or the noisier, the smarter. No. Walk me through your points. Tell me what it is that you're critiquing me on. And you had better also be able to receive the retorts and the critique that I will present to you. And we're going to wrestle with that. And guess what? We don't always have to agree. That's the beauty of it. So if we're really talking about education and true education, being free to disagree, I have no issue with that. Just understand that I'm going to respect you and you should respect me and that my rights should not stop where yours start. Right. And that's the problem. Sometimes folks are like, listen, no, I got all my rights, blah, blah, blah. And the minute I try to get rights, like, oh, no, no, no. So are we really equal? Is it really equitable? Um, and those two things are different. Equality and, and, and equity are different. One is the same for every. The other one is what you might need, what a person needs. And that looks different across the board. It's not equal. Um, and I think that's another thing that people get confused. When we talk about equality versus equity, a lot of people often get that confused and they can't have those conversations because they're like, well, I mean, we should just be equal. We should just be equal. That would be great. But guess what? Some folks have 400 year head start. So if we really want to be equal, we could talk about things such as reparations. Right. We'll never get back to being equal because even if you give us all this money, there's still some trauma that's in our DNA. You know what I mean? So we can talk about all this stuff until we're blue in the face. But there's a difference between equality and equity. And there's a difference between knowing where you come from and not knowing where you come from. There's a difference between being a person who was always like at the bottom mm. and a person who's always at the top. Like it's traumatic. It's like you, um, Dr. Joy DeGruy, she talks about post-traumatic slave disorder or syndrome. Right. Um, it's epigenetics. It's in, it's in our DNA. So there's 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 ways that we need to like exercise exercise this out of our DNA, but it takes time. And if we keep getting all these images, and all these messages, and all these systems and things that are in place that don't allow us to actually become critical thinkers, where we can wrestle with these things and think about how we can change them, it's a problem. It's true, and I definitely think mindset is totally hereditary because 
think about the mindset of someone who is, you know, deemed a king in a land. How are his children being raised? They're not being raised like the common folk at the bottom of that, you know, that monarchy, right? They're going to be mm-hmm. thinking about the world differently. So it's the same concept in terms of your socioeconomic background. You're not going to be thinking a certain, you're going to have a certain mindset at a certain level in society than you would at a different level. So you're starting from different levels, number one. And then number two, when we, you know, let's say when we articulate this truth to you, then you get offended. But all we did was tell you the truth. Like it shouldn't matter whether I'm saying it or you're saying or anyone else is saying it. And whether it's you receiving the truth, the truth is still going to be the truth, regardless if we exist or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, it's, it's funny that you said that because I'm thinking about our experience and I'm thinking about me being in predominantly white institutions since the age of 14, really. Mm. And you think about the stuff that you learn there. Um, and I often say that being in those spaces, I learned a language. I learned a language. I learned a way of being, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, whether it's how to dress to be. Um, and this might be something that we can talk about moving forward, but just thinking about this whole notion of signaling. Right. Mm. There's a there's this thing called signaling where you have to identify yourself as being safe. Ah, right. right. Um, and for example, like I love my alma mater. I do. Went to Cornell University. I love my alma mater. Shout out. Go Big Red. However, I don't love, love it so much. I'm going to get it tattooed. And I'm like, the reason why a Cornell alumni decal is on the back of my car, as well as my wife's car, is because when we get pulled over, it is my hope. It is my hope that a cop sees that and automatically starts to turn their radar down. It's my hope. So there's certain things like when I walk, when I go to an ATM, if it's not one of those things where it's like only one at a time or whatever the case would be, I always, I've been social distancing before social distancing. Thank you. Because that's <laughs> what it means to be a black person in America sometimes, right? Yeah. Depending on where you are. So it's like, I'm not going to be that close to you because guess what? I'm a threat regardless. I could be a threat walking 500 yards away from you or one that you've never even seen before because you don't live around black people. So when you think about these spaces, I've learned a lot of things. Problematic, yes, but I've learned a lot of things that really get back to the whole notion of survival, which get back to the notion of fighting or living to fight another day Um, and realizing that fight is not always a a physical one. Mm. Frederick Douglass said it best. Um, Power can seize nothing without the man. Um, The fight for liberation is going to be a fight. It might be a moral one. It might be a physical one. It might be both, but it's going to be a fight. I believe that 100%. And those words were spoken years ago. And it's still true. Yeah, it is. I feel like we solved some of those words in the uh, the Bible as well. But, you know, that that's a different topic for a different day. <laughs> for sure. Now, in terms of, let's say, the, the other aspect of the, the live stream, do Black Lives Matter? Because... I feel like every single day we have to ask ourselves that question. Of course, it's a rhetorical question for us, obviously, but it's just like it's more of an introspective question poised to those witnessing these events. And then, Mm. you know, especially when they, you know, when sometimes people who aren't black get upset that black people are upset that black people are being murdered by the people who are supposed to be protecting their rights. They're essentially Mm. violating their rights on camera and then walking away from it. Mm -hmm. I have so many thoughts on that and that could be like two hours but um, a few things that I'll share right now I mean do black lives matter I mean we can ask that question Um, and depending on who you ask you might get different answers you might get the of course they do you might get the all lives matter you might get whatever the case may be right 
But I think one of the one of the interesting responses I heard when that question was posed to uh, I think a black man, I can't remember who it was. He was like, "I'm not interested in asking that question to folks who are not black." Mm. He said, "I'm interested in asking that question to ourselves. Do black lives matter? Because if they do, we, the collective we, realizing that the system is not going to save us." that no white man is going to save us, no, no matter how much of an ally they might be, no matter how much of an accomplice they might be. We thank you for your service. We appreciate it. But when you think about who's going to save us, mm. we are to save ourselves. So how do we do that? And let's not get it twisted. It's not one of those situations where we talk about respectability politics. It's not one of those situations where we're talking about, you know what, the black person is blamed for all the things that happen to the black person. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, we know that help is not going to come from them. Right. At least not institutionally. And I'm not talking about individuals. Like, forget, miss me with the individual people. Miss me with the individual cases. I'm talking about institutionally. How are we going to organize to make sure that we can change things in this country? To make sure that we can change things in this world? If you look at all the, like, revolutions, it wasn't by an individual who was an ally or an accomplice. Right? You think about the Haitian Revolution. Right. They got after it. Like they wasn't like, oh, yeah, French people. Can we barter? Can we? No, there's things that have to happen. And I'm not calling for violence. Right. So let's not let's not get that twisted either, because people like the mince words and like spice stuff. Do it. Not calling for that. What I'm saying is at some point we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, do black lives matter? And if the answer is yes, what are we going to do to make sure that everyone else know that they do? What are we going to do? We can't just keep saying they do, they do, they do. What are we going to do to make sure? Because we keep saying that they do and people behind the scenes who say that they don't continue to do things on institutional levels, in politics, putting in laws. They keep doing these things that say, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do, they do. But they're actually doing things, taking actions, tangible actions that say otherwise. So that's my answer. That's my short answer. Well, my long answer, to question, <laughs> my longer answer is somewhere else. Right. I think that's a phenomenal answer. And you, you touched on a great point, which is the victim mindset. And, you know, growing up as a black person, you were raised with the, you know, the victim mindset, but from a just position, because all the things that happened to us would make us the victim. However, you're never going to get out of that situation by identifying with the victim. So you all you you already have to overcome that mentally before you even begin that journey. Mm-hmm. So 100%. that and yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you, and I think I, I often this this conversation often leads to the other question: What about black on black crime? That and that was that yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna was gonna say next is because if you actually believe Black Lives Matter, then how are you still you know killing each other, especially when you see other people killing you? So why, so why are you adding to those numbers? So here's, here's, and again, like I said, I'm a critical thinker and I'm an educator and I want people to go get knowledge for themselves. Don't just listen to me. Don't just take what my opinions are, what my thoughts are and say, wow, this is what he said. It might be true. It might not be true, et cetera. Go do some further research. So when, we, when that question always comes up, I like to point people to this book. So it's by Dr. Amos Wilson, one of the black psychologists who's no longer with us. Um, but this book right here, I'm going to read the title, and it's called Black on Black Violence, The Psychodynamics of Black Self-Annihilation 
in service of white domination. So the psychodynamics of black self-annihilation in service of white domination. So again, it's not always the what. So we talk about black on black violence. It's not always the what, it's the why, right? Just like traffics, like when you talk about uh, car accidents, right? They say, you know, most car accidents happen within a certain mile radius of someone's home. That's because that's where you're driving the most. Right. When you think about residential communities, particularly like uh, due to certain institutional inequities and institutional racism, such as redlining, right? There are certain people who live amongst each other. People of color live amongst each other in, in many cities, right? Major cities. Um, so if there's going to be any crime that's done, they're not leaving their neighborhood to commit the crime, right? It's usually in that space. So we, we can't talk about the what without addressing the why. So if anyone ever says, what about black on black violence? Say, why does that happen? Right. Now, what I'm what I'm suggesting is that in this book, it posits that it's psychodynamics of black self-annihilation in the service of white domination. And another thing, when we talk about mental health, when we talk about the role that trauma plays in a person's life. Um, and here's something, again, I want people to go take a look, check the book. But there's one space in here where he talks about suicide. Mm. And he talks about when, 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 when black folks take their lives, right? In the sense of that is an act of self-hatred and violence against themselves because of all the trauma that they were taught, all the things they received, and that might lead them to be in that mental capacity to do such an act. So that, that in itself is an act of violence against their own selves because they've been taught to, to hate themselves. Right. They've been taught to seek violence against themselves and service, again, of white domination. When I say white domination, I'm talking about white um, hegemonic culture um, in the United States of America, which is white, male, wealthy, Christian, or Christian, um, you know, heterosexual, etc. All these things. Um, but that's one thing I would offer up because that always is like the the red heron that people are like want to toss up on, like, oh, what about that? And then it just takes someone off of the original conversation, and then we never get back to the why. We just start getting stuck in the what. Absolutely. And as you were describing the book, and I'm definitely going to check that out, is self-sabotaging behaviors. You're doing things that will, that you already know as you're doing them will make your life worse. And -hmm. you can actually see it. You can see it in terms of big picture thinking. You can see it short term and you can see it long term. Yet you still, to use your point, you make a decision and you walk through that door. Mm-hmm. And the crazy yeah. part is the door is locked, but you open the door just to walk through it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And, it, and you know, it, it, you know, James Baldwin said to be con- to to be black and relatively conscious. America is always the state, like to be in a state of uh, um, rage, right? A constant mm. state of rage. Um, I was given a a presentation at school during Black History Month during Black Lives Matter Week of National Action at schools, um, and it was called Black Minds Matter, which is a, a larger um, research study at an institution. Um, but I was giving my own black, black minds matter presentation. And, you know, one of the rhetorical questions I, I, I posed, I said, you know what? Um, people might say that I have a chip on my shoulder. My question is who put it there? Oh, that's all I want to know. Who put it there? Yeah. Who, uh, who, you know, created the boulder and then told us to hold it. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. especially if no one else is holding these boulders and it's not like we're being compensated for, you know, holding the boulders quite well, may I add. So there's not even, there's not even a plus there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we, and we see it time and time again. Um, we, we, 
we see it in all different walks of of life. It doesn't matter what institution you're in. It doesn't matter what profession you're in. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you're in. You see something that reminds you that there are some people in this space who are a part of marginalized groups, and there are some people who are a part of privileged groups. And I mean, I got to be honest with you. The reason why this is so difficult, and I say this often, you know, um, particularly in my role, my role is to bring like folks to some more consciousness of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I say this all the time. I'm like, listen, if I was a white male of, imagine this, if I was a white man, right, of privilege, would I be so ready to give it up or relinquish <laughs> any of it if someone asked me for it? Now, y'all can sit there and be like, yeah, sure. I'm like, you're a liar. Mm. Like, 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 no one, no one, you ain't got, no one, no one has a heart of gold that much, right? To the point where it's like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's always easy to play the hypotheticals. But I'm like, I mean, I honestly, I, so again, when you think about these people who are in spaces that they've been privileged to the point where like now during this time, COVID-19, where I'm seeing like an increase in fragility. Right. Like so much fragility where people are like so fragile, they're about to break because their Amazon Prime is going to come in a week as opposed to like a couple of days. It's like, calm down, relax. Like that's Alicia worse. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm thinking about now. And just like, again, we have to save ourselves. Whether that means, and, and by saving ourselves, it's almost just like in the Bible, like right? there are many parts of the body, uh, many parts of the body, right? Everyone has a role to play. Everybody has a role to play. Everyone should be in a specific lane. So when we talk about organizing, we talk about like a hostile takeover. It's not just political. It's not just political. So you can't just say go run for the office and then things are going to change. No. We need folks who are running for office. We need folks who are going to be lawmakers, policymakers. We need folks who are in the schools who are teaching our kids to be critical thinkers, et cetera, so they can fill in. We need people who are in the medical field to make sure that we're being treated as human beings, right? right. We need people who are in agriculture so we can know how to grow our own food. So there's just so many things. Yeah, it's true. And and it goes back to our original point about the instant society because a lot of those skill sets are less and less valuable in a world full of technology. So certain things, it kind of reminds me of uh, like in Black Panther, where Angela Bassett's character takes the takes the flower and knows how to, you know, break it down into you know into, into that serum. Just like things that have been with us for generations are now, you know, totally being erased. Which is kind of goes back to Jazz's point: Is it by design? Uh huh. Uh -huh. That is the question. That is the question for sure. Is it by design? I mean. I know the answer, <laughs> but yeah, that's the question. That is, that is the question. It is. And then I guess another, you know, pop culture question that we have would be what happened, uh, let's say during a alleged jog in the neighborhood. I know you had some strong thoughts about that. Did you want to get right into it? Oh yeah. Um, again, it's just another situation. I mean, Add to the list, right? It's driving while black, jogging while black, wearing a mask while black, merely existing while black, for some reason, mm. is a threat to white people. I'm not saying all white people. I'm, I'm using white people as a universal, a universal entity, as an institutional form of oppression, mm. particularly in the United States of America. Because again, we would talk about white supremacy. Uh, society or culture, hegemonic culture, et cetera. Um, so I hope individuals are not fragile and they don't think I'm attacking them. I'm not calling out individuals, I'm not calling out individual behavior per se, 
although there are some individuals who have individual behavior that's just disgusting. I'm talking about the institutions that produce these people mm. and produce these behaviors. That's what I'm focusing on. I think sometimes we get so caught up in individuals, so caught up in individuals, whether it's individual situations or um, uh, circumstances or individual people, that we lose sight of what's bigger, which is the institutional inequities, systemic racism, et cetera. Um, so when we talk about that case, and again, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to even try to get on here and start breaking down the facts and do, I'm not doing that. One, it's disrespectful in my opinion. Two, again, I'm not an expert in that, in, in that field. So I, I will merely give you my perspective as an educator. Right. There's a lot of people who are talking about in the criminal justice system or criminal injustice system, however you want to look at it, right? that you're supposed to be innocent to a proven guilty. I just ask, I just ask, when you listen to rhetoric about this case, are all parties being assumed innocent until proven guilty? Mm. Um, are all parties being said that they had rights in one way, shape or form? Because I hear a lot of pundits or I hear a lot of you know YouTubers who are going into these rabbit holes and speaking about things they don't know. Or they're like, well, let's 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 wait for the facts, and then they project their own factual data, and they're like, well, this is actually what happened. But I'm saying, let's wait for the facts. But this is what happened. They're just double speaking back and forth. Um, so for this whole situation, honestly, I think it's the most egregious thing is that this murder took place on February 23rd. Right. Folks weren't arrested. Folks were not arrested until May 7th. And that's only because the video surfaced. So. And that's only because the video surface. And just to put things in further perspective, this year is a leap year. So we had an extra day. <laughs> an we, extra day, right? Yeah. So February 29th passed too, right? So we talk about these things, right? And we talk about that video that gets sent around. Yes, in some cases, it's necessary because people don't act unless it's blatantly in their face. But again, that's also trauma porn. That's something that keeps getting circulated and people are seeing that. And people are just having that, like, just ingrained into their into their consciousness, into their psyche. Like, that takes a toll on people. The same way people watch a lot of violent movies or the same way kids are always playing Fortnite or whatever the case may be. Like, it takes a toll on people mentally, whether they're going to be aggressing, like the aggression that builds up, whether it's the self-hate or self-doubt or fear. It can be crippling in a lot of different ways. So when you think about that. Yes, it might serve a larger purpose, but then you have to ask yourself why are videos like that leaked, and particularly after such a long time, right? And again, I'm not going to speak to the facts of the case because I don't know the facts of the case. I'm not going to speak to all the things I hear about because it's just things I hear about. I wasn't there. I'm not from Georgia. I don't live in Georgia. I'm not from that county. I know none of those people. So I'm not going to speak to those things. But what I will speak to, again, is that when it comes to these situations, and there's been way too many of them, way too many of them, the system, the criminal justice or injustice system does not, does not usually, does not benefit black folk, people of color, marginalized folk. It benefited OJ, but that's because OJ was green. <laughs> OJ had money. OJ had the juice, right? And then even after that, still, the system came back to get him. Multiple times. times. right? <laughs> so, when we, so when we think about these things, it's like, you know, we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, um, when will it stop? And when will we move and turn these moments into a movement 
where it's no longer a hashtag, but is a course of action, where it's no longer a meme or um, um, a video that's being shared. Like, how do we really work together like we used to back in the day to organize? And I know there's fear because, again, what happens? What happens when our leaders stand up? They're put down, literally killed. They're silenced, right? We have we have too many martyrs. Like if you heard the, the beginning of the song, too many too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets, mm-hmm. right? Again, what message are we receiving? If you stand up for your rights, we are going to sit you down. We're going to shut you up. So we need some Nat Turners out here. We need some Harriet Tubman's. We need some riders. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about folks committing acts of violence. I'm talking about people who are going to speak truth to power. Mm. And they're going to be like, you know what? We're taking over all this politics. We're going into medicine. We're going into law. We're going into policy. All these things we need to do in order for us to actually, like, if this is the game we're going to play, let's, let's, let's play it better. Let's win. Yeah, it's true. And I guess... One of the things, you know, as a, someone who is on social media frequently, when I first saw these videos become more viral on social media a couple of years ago, I thought it would be, I'll be, you know, I, at first I was very naive. I was like, finally, now everyone's going to see there's unrefutable evidence. Surely something's going to change. But unfortunately, the more I look at it, the more these videos come out, I, I can make the fair argument that we're getting le- you know desensitized to these deaths in general. So now it's going to be completely normal. Oh, no, it's going to be like same thing. Like, oh, if uh, I got to quote, you know, my favorite character, the Joker, if a group of gangbangers or soldiers get blown up is normal. So, again, if a police officer violates someone's rights and takes their lives and doesn't you know, serve any time and gets paid administrative leave, that's going to be normal. That's going to be deemed as normal for the you know, foreseeable future. And I just worry about that when raising you know, children in the future. Absolutely, because, you know, folks will become numb to it. Like we just said, you know, a lot of times folks get um, conditioned um, or programmed um, into thinking that this is the way of life. This is reality. Right. Um, unless we break that cycle. And again, we have to break the cycle ourselves. Um, and you think about um, law reform, mm. criminal justice reform. You think about a, a law such as citizen's arrest law, right? You think about even laws such as standing your ground that seems like that only benefits people who are not black in these situations, right? Um, you think about how a citizen's arrest law is even more dangerous because it can lead or provoke a situation that leads to someone trying to claim and utilize Daniel ground law. Right. You think about how in Georgia, the same state where this happened, right? You had Shannon Brown from former Laker, right? Who was, um, I think he was showing his house and had some folks who came to take a look at the house. It was like some altercation, whatever the case would be. Um, He's on his property. He got his shotgun. He didn't shoot at anyone. He fired into air, something like that. Right. Um, again, I don't know the facts. Check that out. Um, however, from what I've read and what I've took a look at, um, he was the people who were the instigators on his property left, called the cops. Shannon Brown was arrested. Shannon Brown was arrested on his own and property, on his own property where he was defending his own property. Right. Literally. And that happened like that. But. On February 23rd, I guess everybody was off duty. I don't, I don't know where. I, I, from 23rd all the way to May 7th, I'm, 
Maybe May. Maybe May comes out of February. <laughs> maybe it's it's a it's a possibility. February, February, May, not February, March. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Yeah, it's uh February showers and not snow flurries. I guess right. Right. But yeah, uh, so yeah, it's just uh very very disappointing and disheartening, which is why I feel like it's even more important to have these conversations and come together, you know, to make sure none of us become used to that because it goes back to your brilliant point at the beginning. Our, our brain is a very magnificent device and it can get used to any environment. So I just don't want this environment to be normal for all of us personally. Exactly. And just to drive that point home even further, uh, think about a computer. Think about downloading software onto a computer. Think about whenever you have to, you know, upgrade your software. How long does that take? You know, sometimes we get our phones and it's like you have to upgrade this to put a new system in, to reboot it. And we don't have enough patience for that. So imagine trying to um, rewire our minds, mm. to decolonize our minds, to reprogram our minds, to, to, to change out our hardware that's been hardwired into our brain cells. It takes, it takes some time, but it also takes people who care, who mm. have the patience, who are going to work with people, who are not going to give up, who are not going to be lazy. Um, there's a, there's a lot of things that we need to do as a people to make sure that these things don't happen. And I know there are a lot of different thoughts about which path is the right way for it. And I would suggest that there are multiple paths. There are multiple paths, but unfortunately, as you alluded to the road, most traveled is the popular one. And that usually has to do with what's relevant in pop culture. Cause that's more social, socially valuable. That has the higher social currency. So you would rather listen to, you know, future as opposed to, you know, reading, you know, any like mm -hmm. the book that you were talking about. Is this is this a, it's a you got to have a desire to do it, but you also have to be open minded enough to listen. If you're not going to be open in mind, if you're not going to be able to receive the information, it doesn't matter how I present it. You're just not going to receive it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think I was watching something earlier today um, and the late great. Uh, Dick Gregory had said, uh, we need communities, not neighborhoods. Mm. So again, we need communities, not neighborhoods. And what he was saying is really community is cooperative economics. Um, a community is um, a Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street. However, we saw what happened, right? Black Wall Street massacred, like folks burned that place down. And when I say folks, I don't just mean regular people who lived in the town. I'm talking about white militia that was government sanctioned because it was backed by police forces as well. Even so much so that people who were there told that they saw planes flying over, dropping bombs. Wow. So again, again, what happens when we try to save ourselves? Now, we can't just have a few people who want to do these things. We need a mass organization of folks to do this because again, when we try to speak up, when we try to stand up, when we even try to kneel, they tell us to shut up, be quiet, shut up and dribble. Mm. Like it's all these things that, that that we're dealing with, but we have to think about that. We really have to think about that. Um, and you know, there's times when I feel a little Old Testament, you know, like, you know <laughs> eye for eye. There's times when I feel that way. Um, but there are other times when I'm when I'm reminded that vengeance is the Lord's. Um, yes, and that's how I can that's how I can sleep at night. But yeah, man. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. That that's probably one of the first thoughts. Is just like, is there any going to be any type of justice at all? 
And then that becomes a rhetorical question because we already know the answer. We know the answer and we know that it might be justice for somebody because that's what justice is for them. Right. Um, but in terms of justice, like a, a moral justice, a divine justice, that's that's what I'm hoping for. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where it comes from. But like I said, I can only rest that night realizing and knowing and accepting that vengeance is the Lord because I will lose my mind trying to, you know, think about these things all the time to the point where you get into a state of paralysis and you don't want to do anything because you're too fearful uh, or you're you're too worried about what you do. What you, like you're too worried about the words that you say. You know, there's just so much stuff that we have to live with constantly where we're policing ourselves just so we can make it home. It's true. It's, it goes back to your, your point about signaling, right? Like you gotta, you gotta signal while black in order to make it home black. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then how do you feel about the aspect of having a black militia? Um, first and foremost, I'm pretty sure there are some that already exist. Mm. Um, I am not a part of one. Um, but when I have children, I just might become a part of that. Um, my thing is, in terms of militia, though, I think what we've seen, too, is that the government has shown that it doesn't protect everyone equally. So there is no equal protection mm. under the law, right? So what we've seen is that we've seen armed white militias storm state capitals without face masks, not social distancing in people's faces, cursing them out, blah, blah, blah police, marshals, etc. And... They don't get tear gas like the nonviolent protesters in Ferguson were. Exactly. They don't get handcuffed, tased, et cetera. Um, no, no, not at all. They're allowed to have these tiki torch marches like in Charlottesville, right? Um, and Yeah, like they're going after Frankenstein or something. Like, really? Talk about it. So what I've seen is that, you know, there are some folks. Like there, there was a, a congresswoman. I can't remember. I think she was a state representative. I want to say in Michigan somewhere. Um, and she was escorted by armed men, black women. She was escorted by armed black men to the Capitol. Cause it's like, we've seen that your, your system does not protect us. It's an open carry space. We go open carry and get our sister in there safely. Wow. So again, if we are, when people always talk to us about second amendment, second amendment, second amendment, all right. Again, a lot of people talk about it. You know what I mean? How, how, how can you change gun reform? Quickest ways for a lot of folks who don't look like the folks who are in them currently. Most people who look like me and you, right? We jump in that bad boy. We join the NRA. It's like, what's good? We all become licensed to carry. Like there, there are ways that you can work within a system. But again, is that the right way? Is that the moral imperative? Again, Frederick Dulles. Yes. It might be a physical one. It might be a moral one. It might be both. But it will be a struggle because power can seize nothing without the man. And we haven't been demanding things. A hashtag is not necessarily demanding. I mean, it's raising awareness. And sometimes it's like, hashtag, I demand justice. Okay. But what's the action? So sometimes it's also the action that makes it tangible. And that those things help. Hashtag activism helps. However, what's next? Yeah, there's definitely have to be action along with that, let's say, uh, social media action. You do need real life action as well. And mm -hmm. it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. Most of it is only social media action. And, you know, sometimes you'll have, you know, have marches and whatnot, which, you know, which is great. And then things, you know, still go back to normal. 
Mm-hmm. And in the words of Rihanna, when she won her uh, her acceptance speech, I can't remember what award show it was, but she was talking about all the folks who was like, you have friends who are black, you have friends from different sexes, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. You see what's happening to them. Um, pull up. Pull up and help. Pull up and help. So when we talk about these allies out there, so-called allies or accomplices, um, pull up. Do something. You know, you're so quick to post a TikTok video. You know what I mean? Culturally appropriate and do some dances and steal things from people, stuff that you did not create. Yet you can't repost something that someone posted about someone who was, life was taken senselessly. Like, senselessly. Um, pull up. Do something. Yeah, it's true. And I guess from the research I've done in my entire life, it, it led me to one conclusion is that the way the truth is received on earth is usually in death. If you look at all historical figures, spiritual figures, that's the one thing that they all have in common. They're all different races, ethnicity, ethnicities, religions, and so on and so forth. But the one thing that unites them all is that whenever they spoke the truth, that's when usually they lost their lives. It's a very, very true point. Very true point. That's, you know, truth hurts. Sometimes truth gets you killed. Um, yeah. So again, it's it's and it's it's a race. It's a race, right? So I can't remember who who said it. Maybe it's I think it was Dr. Claude Anderson where I heard him talk about it. He has a book called Black Labor White Wealth. He has um Powernomics, he has a number of different books. Um, a great, a great thinker. Um, he's one of the first people to really talk about reparations and things of that nature. Okay. Um, however, uh what he was really talking about, he was like race. He's like race is race is exactly that. It's not about like color, skin, blood. It's a race for which people. Right. Um, and he's like, you know, and other people answers often say that, you know, we each have a leg of the race to run. So this is the leg of the race that you and I are running. You know, our, our ancestors, our parents, our um, grandparents, they're the ones who've paved the way for us. And now they're giving us, giving us the baton to run our race. And we better run our leg as fast as we can, um, realizing that it's both a marathon and a sprint. Um, the other piece that I also will offer is that, what um what 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 Dr. Claude Anderson also said, he was talking about poverty. And he was like, people keep talking about how, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we need to eradicate poverty. We need to eradicate poverty. He was like, listen, poverty is not going anywhere. Right. Poverty, particularly in a capitalistic society, needs to exist in order for capitalism to really thrive, right? So he said the question should be not how do we eradicate poverty. How do we get those in poverty out of poverty? So if we're thinking about the black community who's in poverty, how do we get them out of it? Realizing that it might still exist. So those are the questions. Like we have to ask different questions. We have, and it goes back to that critical thinking piece. It's like everyone says, yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna save the whales, or I wanna, you know, fight against climate change. Okay, yeah, okay, great. But critical questions again. So when you're fighting against climate change, but you're not pulling up for other stuff, right? Right. You are doing a disservice, missing out on all these allies that you say that you really are helping, supporting, but you're over here like wanting to really work out for the environment, yet you don't care about the environment that people are living in. Like, you're worried about the ozone layer, but you're not worried about that toxic waste plant that's right next to your neighbor. Well, not really your neighbor. You know <laughs> what I mean. So but there's certain things that just, it's, again, we talk about this often intellectual inconsistency right and you can rock with one thing but not the other it just doesn't make sense for me like if you really care about the world you literally are saying that you care about the world and that's how you want to fight against climate change 
So if you care about the world, wouldn't you care about those who inhabit it too? So again, pull up. Yeah, it's true, especially with people in the world who are assisting in making it a worse place. They're certainly not making it a better place. And it actually reminds me of the Albert Einstein quote, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. And we all know that Einstein, and I actually didn't know this at all until recently, until you, you hear all this information coming out, but he used to teach at, with uh, black audiences all the time. And he would tell them to, your, to their face, like, yes, I see that you are, you know, oppressed and whatnot. And it, and is, you know, it's disgusting basically. And then you don't hear about those things in the moment then, but you hear about them, what, 50 years later after he's already dead. Mm-hmm. Abs- Listen, there are just so there's so when we talk about, again, education and when we talk about then le- there are so many, so many books on my bookshelf that were never introduced to me in school. Mm. And if I went to school again today, they would never be introduced to me in school. They're some of the best books with some of the greatest knowledge in them, but they're not written by the Shakespeare. They're not written, written. It's not the great Gatsby. Right. It's not Charlotte's web. It's not the Scarlet letter. It's not a part of the Canon, right? It's not a part of all these things that are the classics, right? There's a lot of textbooks that I have on my bookshelf. Won't have it in the classroom. So there's so, there's so when we talk about education, what is education? Like, what are we being fed? What are, what are we sending our kids to? So we, we talk about, if I'm a farmer, let's just say I'm a farmer and I'm raising my, my let's just say pigs. Let's just say I'm raising my pigs and I, I just want to raise them, have them, have them have a good life and I do not plan on slaughtering them. Okay. I'd never, then I, that means I should never send them to the slaughterhouse, right? In exactly. some cases, if our children, in this analogy, were those pigs, right? A lot of us are sending them to slaughterhouses. We say we want to raise them, keep them safe, feed them, let them grow up, being big and strong. But we're literally sending them to slaughterhouses. And their mind, their body, their spirit, their soul are being destroyed. Dr. Bettina Love, she talks about some teachers being spirit murderers. Oh, wow. What a term. Dr. Bettina Love, brilliant, talks about hip-hop pedagogy, one of my thought leaders, as well as Dr. Chris Emden, another one of my thought leaders. But Dr. Bettina Love talked about having a teacher being a spirit murderer. When they call you someone else's name, right? When it's just me and you being the only two black people in class and we're reading Huck Finn and people keep saying the N-word, right? Like, what type of impact does that have on a young child? So when we think about all these things, we think about what's lifted up as a classic and what's not, what's in the curriculum and what's not, right? What people's stories are being told and by who, why? Which stories are not being told, why? So just asking all these questions. Um, So again, that's why I'm in education because I saw a void and I wanted to make sure that I changed the things that I did not see. If we're going to quote Gandhi again, right? Be the change you wish to see in the world. All right. I, I didn't I didn't appreciate some of the things I was seeing in my educational experience, in my educational journey. So I wanted to make sure that I can be that thing that I wanted and needed for other people. That's my way of paying it forward. That's my way of pulling up. True. And it's definitely needed. I, I would even say that might be a great, you know, solution in the future 
to create, you know, in-home type of textbooks or having a type of curriculum that's more palatable to the youth. So they learn all these things, you know, when we when we actually needed to learn them at that age, as opposed to now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the students that I work with, they're so brilliant. I mean, students, children in general, um, they're 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 generally way more capable than what adults make it out to be. Right. And the reason being is because they're not lifelong learners. They don't want to continue to learn. They don't want to be one upped by a young person. Um, so they're like, oh well, they can't handle it. Nah, fam, you can't handle that. Right. You're not ready for it. So stop. Like, stop projecting all that nonsense on other people. It's true. And they're projecting with negative emotions. And then, you know, we all know children are sponges. They're going to they're going to absorb that emotion and they're not going to understand it, which is going to lead to their confusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and again, and maybe maybe this is just my perspective. So, again, the views and opinions expressed by Mikhail Israel are those of him solely and not attached to any of his institutions that he's a part of. Anyway, <laughs> all I'm saying is I would say that. There are some people who send their children to these fancy schools to be babysat. Mm. Not to get an education. Because guess what? No matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, you're going to be all right, boo. You're going to be all right. Because the system will catch you. And if, they, if the system doesn't catch you, we'll catch you. Right? So now they being real stuck because they got their child that they sent away to daycare at home. And they're like, dang, I got to teach you? Man, you got, what? So meanwhile, you have other folks who are trying to send their children to these predominantly white spaces that don't necessarily care about them other than being the diversity at their school because that's supposed to be a better pathway for them. Mm -hmm. But at what cost? So you can have a better pathway. You can get access and gain opportunities that you wouldn't have had elsewhere, but at what cost? What are you sacrificing? What are you giving up? Is your spirit being murdered? Is your mind being colonized? Is there a hidden curriculum? Or are they accepting you for all of you as opposed to just looking at you? They want you to be seen and not heard, right? They want you to assimilate. They don't want to adapt to who you are. They don't want to grow to make room for you. They want you to plug yourself in. And if you can't do it, what's wrong with you? I don't get it. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And that's why, like I said, I always, I, I hate school love education. It's true. And I guess one of the things that we all collectively, especially children, need to know is, you know, to learn about yourself. You know, take, take ownership in that because we have, I believe it was, it was states like Georgia and Maryland who banned having dreadlocks at work. So uh, uh, now organizations can turn people away just because of dreadlocks. And we all understand that being, you know, our hair is part of our identity. You're just trying to wipe that away. Again, it's an, it's an attack. Like you said, it's an, it's an attack on the black body. So you have situations such as this now with COVID, right? Where you're supposed to be wearing a mask. And now if you're not wearing one, it gives people free license to do stuff. Like police brutality. Like police brutality, let alone... You got all these folks, all these vanilla brothers and sisters who are in the park living their best life like they're on vacation or a picnic or Woodstock or whatever it is. <laughs> and it's like, really? You're over there having picnics, 
all up on each other, no shirts on, etc. You don't got shirts on and you don't have a mask on. So it's all these things. And, and no one's saying, but over here handing out masks and water. Like it's a concert item. Like if you don't get out of here. So when you think about that, it's like, okay. We already see it. We see it. We see it. And it makes you think you're crazy because it's like, no one else seeing this? Y'all, you don't see that? What? It makes you think, like you said, that it's okay. That this is what it is. This is what I'm supposed to be. That's how it is. Don't challenge establishment. Don't go. Because guess what? Something will happen to you if you do. It's, it is ridiculous because if you think about it, the let's say the police who are committing the brutality, you're clearly not social distancing. You didn't even have gloves on or a mask when you were doing it. It's the new stop and frisk, man. It's a new stop and frisk. Unfortunately, and unfortunately, we're going to have to end the stream here. We had a great stream. So thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, Mix, for you, live bro. streaming for the first time. Get used to it. That's all I'm going to say. And then, and then we're just going to close out with the, you know, our intro so song by Nasheed and Mikhail, Black Lives Matter. Thank you, guys. Stay safe. And hopefully we can be back here next week at the same time. That'd be dope. All right. Let's, let's put it on the calendar and hey. have a blessed day, everyone. Peace and love. You repeat what they created and get power to hate. But worst of all, we disappoint all the greats. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah. Hey. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah, hey, hey.